0: Abundant Life It's good to be in God's presence. Every opportunity we come together, we know the Lord is present with us. This morning, we're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4 is our text for this third installment of serving one another as part of the identity of of ALCF. So if you will stand as we prepare to honor the reading of God's word. First Peter, chapter four, we're going to read verses 10 verses seven through 10. First Peter, chapter four, beginning at verse seven, the end of all things is near Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You may be seated. The title of our message today is The Marks of a True Servant of Christ. Peter says in our text that the end of all things is near. That was true some 2000 years ago when he wrote it. And it is certainly true today when we look at the condition of. Our society and of our humanity, the end of the world, as we know it, is quickly coming to an end And in preparation for that. He says that we should be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. We should have a spirit of humility. And we should grieve the reality that the end of all things is near And yet, Peter says in verse eight, above all the things that he taught uh, in this epistle, that we should keep fervent in our love for one another. So above everything that uh, he teaches here, we should remember as Christians that we should love one another fervently or to love one another passionately and intensely. And then he says in verse 10, Each one of us has received a special gift and we should use it in serving one another, demonstrating the manifold grace of God. One of the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit did for us when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, he deposited within us at least one and oftentimes multiple spiritual gifts, all for the purpose of serving one another. These spiritual gifts are special abilities, which is which indicates the fact that in our own ability, in our own strength, we are not able to effectively serve the Lord ourselves. The Holy Spirit is called a helper in the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit helps us to fulfill God's calling and ministry in our lives by giving us these special abilities called spiritual gifts. Now, in the New Testament, there's three different verses or three different passages of scripture that provide a listing of spiritual gifts for us. They're found in Romans chapter 12, verses six through eight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses eight through 10 and then verse 28 and Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. I would encourage you, for those of you who have not seen spiritual gifts listed in scripture, to take a look at these passages uh, in your free time in your study time and for those of you who are interested you don't know what your spiritual gifts are but you're interested in learning what they are uh, you can google spiritual gifts test uh, on the internet and a number of assessments will come up where they will ask you questions and after you've responded honestly to the questions it will provide you a listing of primary And secondary spiritual gifts that may be deposited in you. But the best way to confirm what spiritual gifts you have is to actually begin to serve other people out of what you think might be a gifting. And the Holy Spirit will confirm for you what those spiritual gifts are, as well as uh, the people uh, that you serve. And so we've been given these spiritual gifts all for the purpose of serving one another and in so doing, establishing God's kingdom here on the earth. Now, the reality is that our father in heaven doesn't really need us in order to establish his kingdom on the earth. The same God who spoke in Genesis chapter one uh, life into existence as we know it is certainly capable of uh, completing and creating his kingdom here on the earth. But because of his love for us, he allows us to enter into a partnership relationship where we can partner with him through the gifts that he gives us for the purpose of establishing his kingdom here on the earth. And this is a wonderful privilege that he gives all of us. Think about it. The father who created all things, who saved us, gives us an opportunity to then partner with him. And doing his work of establishing his kingdom on the earth. And so we want as brothers and sisters of faith to be very serious about discovering what our gifts are and then operating in those gifts so that we can enter into this work that he's called us uh, to fulfill. Now, many of us spend a great deal of time doing things like fulfilling our career pursuits. Raising uh, our families, uh, different recreational or personal pursuits. And these are all good things for us to do. But the reality is these are temporary things when you think about them. These only have temporary value, value for the time that we live on this earth. But when we enter into God's work here on uh, this earth, we enter into a work that has eternal value. So when we minister to people, especially those who don't know Jesus Christ and the Lord uses us to help them get saved. Guess what? We can thank God that we were an instrument in his hand to see someone enter into salvation, which is a far greater value than anything that we can do on the earth. And so all of our personal pursuits, our careers, all of those things are important. And we should certainly give time to those things, but we should prioritize the kingdom work. That our father has given us to do. Jesus says in John chapter 17, he gives us the the goal of our work. If you'll turn to John chapter 17. Jesus is praying. Towards the end of his ministry. And he says in John 17 verse four. He prays, I have glorified you on the earth. Having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And so we see here the goal of our serving one another. There's a work that all of us are called to do. And as we fulfill that work, we bring glory to our father in heaven. And that's why Jesus, when he started his and completed his three and a half year ministry on the earth. It was in fulfillment, not only of the work that the father had given him to do, but more importantly, to give glory to his father In heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, we want to be about the business of discovering again what our gifts are and saying, Lord, empower me by your spirit in order to operate in these gifts. Show me what your calling is. Show me how you want to use me so that I can bring glory to you in heaven. As true servants of Christ, there are three things that I want us to take a look at that make up. A true servant of the Lord. The first is found in Philippians chapter 2. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. And in verse 5 of Philippians 2 He writes, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Paul tells us that Jesus, the head of our church, of this church, as an example for you and I. He came into this world and he emptied himself. So the first thing that we must do as we seek to be true servants of Jesus Christ is we must empty ourselves. Now, what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? When you think about it, Jesus is fully God. He's also fully man. And so Jesus being fully God existed from all eternity past. And so we can know that because he was fully God, he had all the divine attributes of God. He was sovereign. He's all present, all knowing, all powerful. Those attributes existed with Jesus in eternity past. And at the appointed time, he came into this world and he chose to empty himself of all of those divine um, Attributes. All of the things that uh, make him deity, he chose to empty himself of taking the likeness of man. Now, when you think about that, that in and of itself is wonderful that that Jesus, the son of God, would empty himself of all of his divine attributes. And um, and it's a wonderful example of humility in the body of Christ that he would empty himself. He was still God while he was on the earth, but he chose to empty himself of all of those uh, privileges as God. It's much like what a police officer does when uh, they are transitioning from their role as a police officer back to civilian life. A police officer has great authority and great power. The authority is symbolized in the badge that they carry. Every police officer has a badge, and that badge represents the authority of the municipality or the state or the federal government that uh, is vested in them. And so we have to respect uh, and submit to their authority because of that badge. So police officers have great authority, but they also have great power. And that power is seen in the belt that they wear around their waist, the holster. And in that holster is a great deal of power. You know, I oftentimes like to just look at police officers when they uh, come into a coffee shop or into uh, a restaurant. And I say, wow, they have a great deal of power around their waist. (laughs) Their power is represented in things like a handcuff handcuffs. They can uh, use those if they need to. Their power is represented by this uh, liquid called mace. And if they need to use that, uh, that's at their disposal. Uh, if things get very uh, challenging for them, they've got this this thing they call a, a taser where they can send electrical currents through a person and uh, and disable that person for a few moments as they seek to arrest that person. And if that's not enough, they've got a weapon on their holster. That they can use if need be all of these things represent the power that a police officer has. So a police officer has great authority and great power. And yet when they go back into civilian life, they have to empty themselves of that power and authority when they take off their uniform and that badge and all of the power that's around their waist, they are in essence emptying themselves Of their power and of their authority, they remain a police officer uh, when they're at home or uh, with their family, but they've emptied themselves of all of their power and authority. And that's the same thing Jesus did when he came into this earth. He emptied himself of all of his power and all of his uh, divine authority and took on the form of a man. Now, again, this is wonderful that he emptied himself of all of that, but it's important for us to recognize uh, the next step that he took. Paul says that he emptied himself in verse 7, taking the form of a bond servant. Now, a servant is someone who serves for a paycheck, typically. They are an employee, meaning that they receive wages. They are protected by workers' rights. There's certain rights that protect servants. And if they don't like their job, they can quit that job. And so servants are people that receive a wage, are protected by workers' rights, and have the flexibility of quitting their job if they don't like it. And so we, we know of servants in various uh, areas of our lives. We have, some of us have The ability to have servants uh, in our home who provide a, a necessary and helpful function for us. But Jesus didn't come as a servant. The Bible says he came as a bond servant. A bond servant is even lower than a servant. A bond servant is, in essence, a slave. And we all know that a slave doesn't receive any wages for their work. Is not protected by any rights. A slave has absolutely no rights over themselves. And a slave uh, does not have the option or the flexibility to quit if they don't like their job. So if a slave is given a task to do, they have to do it whether they like it or not. They don't have the option of uh, quitting and taking another job. That's the way Jesus came into this earth. He came as a bond servant. And the reality is you and I should see ourselves as bondservants. That's certainly what uh, the apostles uh, saw themselves as. Many of the letters that the apostle Paul wrote starts off with, I, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Peter started his second epistle that way. James starts his uh, epistle that way. Jude started his the same way. They were bondservants of Jesus Christ. And in Revelations chapter 12, excuse me, Revelations chapter one, verse one. Listen at how this letter starts. John writes the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, Jesus, to show to his bond servants. So, again, all of us are bond servants and we need to look at ourselves uh, as uh, slaves Now, that word slave has a negative connotation to it. When we think about slaves, we think of punishment and doing awful things that no one wants to do. But that couldn't be farther from the truth when we're serving Christ. When we're serving Jesus Christ, we're entering into a love relationship with him where we serve him out of our love for him. He saved us out of his love for us. And then we turn around and we become his slave out of our love for him. And we say, Father, I don't work for you for money I'm not looking for any honor, any recognition, any prestige. I simply want to be used by you to do your work here on this earth. So it's a love relationship. There's no negative connotation to it. And so we ought to feel good about the fact that we can consider ourselves bond servants of Jesus Christ. Paul makes this point. He drives this point home in Second Corinthians, chapter 12. In Second Corinthians, chapter 12. Verse 11, he says, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Think about that for a second. The great apostle Paul referred to himself as a nobody. That's not, not like he was Matthias who. Nobody knew much about. He was the replacement for Judas in Acts chapter one. We hear about Matthias there and we don't hear about him ever again. We're talking about the Apostle Paul who wrote uh, the epistles, who traveled to different uh, cities and established churches, raised up elders, um, did miracles and all sorts of things to attest to his ministry Uh, This is the same Apostle Paul that refers to himself as a as a nobody. Listen to what he says about or to the churches at Galatia in Galatians chapter six. If you'll turn there. Galatians chapter six, verse three, he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so Paul is saying, if we think we're somebody Then we're deceived. We have to see ourselves as nobodies. We have to see ourselves as uh, bond servants if we are to have the right mindset as we seek to serve God. For those of us who uh, understand things better, who are mathematicians, let's say another way of looking at this is we are zeros and Jesus Christ is one. He's number one. He's everything and we're nothing. And so we want to constantly remember that as we seek to be a servant of Jesus Christ, we want to think of ourselves as bond servants, as slaves who have a love relationship with the Lord. Now, what are the things that we should empty ourselves of? The first one is pride. When we serve Jesus Christ as his slave, there should be absolutely no place for pride in our lives. We should have zero pride. Because to have pride is to think that somehow we are the uh, the holders of that, that we, in essence, become the gift or the ministry that the father has given us. And we rob God of the glory that he's owed when he's given us the gifts in an effort to serve him. And so we want to empty ourselves of pride. We want to empty ourselves of seeking the approval of man. This is a difficult one. Because all of us want to have some sense of approval by our co-workers, uh, by our friends, by our family members. But if we're going to be true servants of Christ, we cannot seek the approval of man in the same way that Jesus never sought the approval of man. He always worked for the approval of his father in heaven. And there were times during the course of his ministry where he had some very difficult teachings and people couldn't handle what he had to say. But he was okay with that because he knew that this is what his father wanted him to teach uh, and to share with his disciples. And so we should empty ourselves of the approval of man. We should also empty ourselves of our intelligence. Now, our intelligence is useful for a number of things. But when it comes to understanding God's word, when it comes to the ministry, serving in the ministry that the father has for us, our intelligence is. Uh, We should empty ourselves of. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, he prayed. He said, Father, you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. We should think of ourselves as infants. We should think of ourselves as not having any intelligence so that the Holy Spirit from that place of humility can open our eyes, can enlighten us. Can begin to bring wisdom and revelation into God's word and into the ministry that he has for us. We should empty ourselves of our family names. Some of us come from great families that have a long standing uh, various traditions and that that have been maintained down through the generations. But our family names won't help us as we serve Christ. Our good looks we want to empty ourselves of. They won't help us as we serve the Lord. These are the kinds of things that we want to empty ourselves of so that we position ourselves as bond servants, as slaves of Jesus Christ. And then he can use us and then we give him all of the credit and all of the glory for what he wants to do in our lives. The second thing that we want to understand as we seek to be true bond servants of Jesus Christ is found in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. If you'll turn there with me. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul says in verse seven of Second Corinthians twelve Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself concerning this. I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul learned something from his service in God's kingdom. And it's something that you and I can learn today that the world would tell us that we want to serve and do things from a place of strength. But in God's kingdom, it's the exact opposite. If we're going to be effective in our witness and in our work for the Lord, we should operate from a place of weakness. And so the, the second thing that we can learn in our effort to be true servants of Jesus Christ Is we must boast in our weaknesses. We should boast in our weaknesses. And so Paul learned this lesson. And you see him make reference to it throughout his epistles. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Beginning at verse one, Paul says, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So right there we see him emptying himself. It's not about his uh, speech. It's not about his eloquence or his wisdom. He says in verse two, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. This was something that Paul learned during the course of his ministry, that he was most effective when he was at his weakest Because when he was weak, then the power of God was made manifest uh, in him. And so he came to a place where he felt content and felt okay with the various difficulties and the challenges uh, that he faced, because he realized that when he was weak, the Holy Spirit was powerful in his life. Jesus modeled the same thing for us. And Paul makes note of that in Second Corinthians, chapter 13. In 2 Corinthians 13. In verse four, Paul says of Jesus, for indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. And so when Jesus hung on a cross. He he, he was in a very weak place in a very weak state of mind. Yet the power of God was made manifest in him. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, uh, one of the centurions who witnessed Jesus hanging on the cross responded by saying after he witnessed all the earthquakes and everything that took place as Jesus died, he said this truly was the son of God. Or this truly is the son of God. And so in Jesus weakness, we see the spirit and the power of God being made manifest uh, in him. And so that's where we want to be, brothers and sisters. We want to be people who are content with our weaknesses. It's not about our strengths that allow us to be effective in ministry uh, for the Lord. If we want to see the power of God come through our service towards one another, we want to be content in our weaknesses. So a good question that we should ask ourselves is what are those times, those ministry opportunities that the Lord gives us? Where we are at our weakest. What are those times where we feel like we don't have the ability? We don't know what we need to do. We don't have the strength. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the wisdom to do what God is calling us to do. God may be leading us to witness to someone and we feel like we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. God may ask you to stand up and to uh, teach a, a Bible study and you feel like I don't. I don't have the power to do that. Who am I to do that? The reality is it's in that place of weakness where the spirit can be sufficient for us. Every true servant has to be broken by God. We see it in the old covenant and we certainly see it in the new covenant. Paul was a broken person. And all of the things that he experienced in serving Jesus That were difficult for him kept him in a place of brokenness and it's in that place of brokenness that we have to depend and rely completely and totally on the Lord. And so the trials that we go through in our lives are good opportunities for us to stay in a place of brokenness. If we're married to a difficult spouse, for example, that's an opportunity for us to be broken if we're in a season of unemployment, that's an opportunity for us uh, to be broken where we have to rely upon the Lord. If we uh, sickness, if there's sickness in our bodies. We can rely upon the Lord in that time of weakness. These are the trials that the Holy Spirit can use to perpetually keep us in a place of brokenness. So that we have zero confidence in the, pl- in the flesh and we rely completely and totally on the power of God. The great danger that all of us have as we seek to serve Jesus Christ is pride. It was true for the Apostle Paul. All of the things that he was able to do, uh, the temptation for him was that he was puffed up. He became puffed up. And that's why the Holy Spirit allowed this uh, messenger of Satan to torment his flesh to keep, Paul said, to keep myself from exalting myself. And so pride is always an issue because the Holy Spirit can give us a gift such as, say, healing. And we pray for someone. We lay hands on that person and we say, Lord, in Jesus name, please heal this person of this condition and then either instantly that person is healed or within the next 24 or 48 hours, that person gets healed. And then we start to feel good about that. And then next week we go to a prayer meeting and we sense the Holy Spirit is leading us to pray for healing for someone. And we lay hands and we pray for that person. And next week we heal, we see the Lord heal that person and we do it again next week. And if pride begins to seep in, we begin to think it's all about us. And the next thing that we do is we start printing out business cards and renting out hotels and arenas and inviting people to come to be healed by us. And it's no longer about the glory of God. It's all about us. And we've lost sight of the fact that it was the father who gave us the spiritual gift to begin with so that. We could minister the love and compassion of Jesus Christ in others, bringing him glory and helping to establish his kingdom here on the earth. And so pride is a great danger for us as servants of Jesus Christ. And the way that we stay away from pride is to stay in a place of brokenness and weakness. So as true servants of Christ, we want to empty ourselves. We also want to boast in our weaknesses. And then finally, let's take a look at 1st Timothy chapter 4 for the final point. 1st Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing to his spiritual son, whom he had a great affection for. And in this letter, he is teaching and exhorting Timothy The things to uh, teach and to do. And he says in verse 14 of first Timothy four, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Verse 16, he says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. Paul is exhorting Timothy that as you minister in the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given you, that we that he should be careful to watch his life and his teaching. And so the third point that we can learn as a true servant of Jesus Christ is we must watch our life closely. We should watch our doctrine, certainly our teaching, our ministry. But more importantly, we should watch our lives closely. That's what the Apostle Paul exhorted Peter to do, to pay close attention to your life. Because if we don't do that. Then we run the risk, he says, of losing uh, our salvation. He says the same thing of himself in second in first. Corinthians chapter nine, if you'll turn there. First Corinthians chapter nine. In verse 27, Paul writes, but I must discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So Paul says that I should. In the course of ministering, in the course of preaching to others, I must discipline my body. I must make it my slave, meaning that I have to watch my eyes, what I look at. I must watch my ears, the things that I listen to. I must watch where I go, the thoughts that I allow to enter into my head so that I don't only preach to my uh, to the people that are listening to me, but I myself am not disqualified. And so Paul is saying that we could minister in the name of Jesus out of the gifts that he's given us. But if we don't watch our life closely, if we don't discipline ourselves, we ourselves could be disqualified. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew, chapter seven. If you'll turn there. Matthew, chapter seven. Jesus is speaking and he says, not everyone, verse 21, Matthew, chapter seven, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. So Jesus makes it clear here. The people who will enter heaven are those who do the will of his father in heaven. And then he says in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles And so these are Christians who are operating out of their spiritual gifts, prophecy, uh, miracles, casting out demons. These are gifts that the Holy Spirit uh, gives us for the purpose of serving him. And Jesus responds and says in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness is a word for sin. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, I never knew you depart from me because you were those who chose to live and practice sin. And so this is a very sober warning for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, that we want to pay close attention to our lives. We want to examine ourselves and make sure that uh, there is no conscious sin in us. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. And so we want to have a clear conscience. We don't want to have we don't want to be in a place where we are deliberately, knowingly practicing sin. And so we don't want this to create any sense of anxiety for us, thinking that, oh, my God, there's a bunch of sins. And because I have all of these sins in my life, I'm going to hell. That's not what's being stated here. All of us have sins, but we want to. Make sure that as soon as we are conscious of any sin that's in us, that we are quick to repent, that we are quick to forsake that sin, uh, to turn away from that, to say, Lord, forgive me. I've offended you. This doesn't honor you in any way. I forsake this. Forgive me. Purify me. Cleanse me. And when we do that, he forgives us and he purifies us. And our conscience is clear. Our conscience um, is there's nothing that, uh, that we're aware of. And he says here that the Lord is the one who examines us. So we can take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit will make us aware of the times where we fall into sin. But where the danger is, is if we practice sin. To practice sin is to do it over and over and over again, where we're no longer aware of the fact that, uh, we've offended God. It's in that place that uh, we are in a very dangerous uh, situation. And so we want to be quick to recognize any sinful patterns in our lives so that we can set things right between ourselves and the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, we cannot take sin lightly in our lives, especially when we seek to serve others in the name of Christ. And so I'm sure. We've all heard of the stories of great Christian leaders in the body of Christ who the Lord had given tremendous spiritual gifts to and they serve out of those gifts. But in their inner lives, there's something different going on and they haven't paid close attention to their inner lives. And there's sin that they've been practicing. And when that sin comes to light, it has a very devastating and harmful effect for the body of Christ as well as for that person. But more than that, it has a harmful impact on our witness and our testimony before Jesus Christ. And so we want to recognize the importance of examining ourselves, of play, of paying close attention to our lives. We need to keep constant watch over the things that we see and hear, the company that we keep, uh, the people that we choose to spend time with, the shows on TV that we choose to watch. All of these things, uh, if we're not careful, can create uh, a scenario in our lives that doesn't measure up with the ministry that the Lord has given us. When you look at the life of Jesus. When he went into the River Jordan at the age of 30 to be baptized and to begin his ministry, there was a voice from uh, heaven that spoke. It was his father and his father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so the obvious question to ask is, well, what is he pleased with? Because Jesus hadn't yet started his ministry. And the answer is his father was pleased with the life that he lived for 30 years. Jesus lived his life for 30 years and lived a perfect life, free of all sin. And that was the foundation for a ministry that only lasted three and a half years. Again, it shows how important our life is in comparison to our ministry. So we want to pay close attention to our lives and recognize that we can mess up in ministry. We can make mistakes in serving one another, but it doesn't break our fellowship with Jesus. But if we live in a life of sin, it breaks our fellowship with Jesus because Jesus is holy and there's no sin in him. And so, again, we don't want to be anxious that. Um, there's all of this sin and I can never be a servant of Jesus Christ. That's not the point. The point is simply that we want to be conscious of our life. And any time that we fall into sin, we are quick to repent and to set things right before the Lord. And so we're called to a wonderful ministry that the father has given all of us as bond servants of Jesus Christ. But more importantly, we're called to a godly life, a life Of holiness. And that should be the foundation for the work that the Lord wants to do uh, in each of us. So as I conclude, I want to call your attention to the insert in the bulletin. If you pull out this insert that says serve one another.